0: All right, as promised, uh, another uh, Tim Hawkins video. This one's a little bit longer, but if you have children, um, you might connect with it. And if you don't have children yet, it might be ample warning for you. If you have adult children, um, just anyway, watch. So kids, stop your whining. Stop your whining. There's just nothing to whine about.
1: You got everything you need. I love my children, but not too long ago, I made them a, a breakfast. I made them a full balanced breakfast. It was huge, I made everything for them. It took me like an hour and a half, you know, I wanted to surprise them. So I made the breakfast, I put it all on the table. I wake up, kids, come to the breakfast table. I made you breakfast, all right. I sit down, I go into my office. 10 seconds later, I hear this. Ah! <laughs> right, what's wrong? There's pulp in the orange juice. <laughs> Oh, pulp! You got the orange juice with pulp in it! Get it out! Like you get it out, man. I've seen you eat an orange. That's pretty much full pulp. If there's pulp in the milk, then tell me about it. That's not good. (laughs) It's pretty much cottage cheese. You let Daddy know, and I'll take care of that. Pulp is like kryptonite to my kids, man. When I want to be alone, I just go in my office, I just put pulp on the doorknob. (laughs) Daddy, (laughs)
0: <laughs> it <Eight bangs. laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. I took my kids a while back to this uh, par theme park called Six Flags. You ever heard of Six Flags? It's a real fun theme park, man. Took them there for a day. I spent half a grand. <laughs> half a grand <laughs> in a day. We're driving home that night. I heard this in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> and sweetheart, what's wrong? Billy's daddy took them to Disney World <laughs> for a week, and we just got to go to Six Flags for a day. <laughs> we hate you, <laughs> well, sweetheart. Look up here, at daddy. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) You ever feel like doing that? I have. Like, we got insurance. Let's see what happens. I don't care anymore. I just don't want to hear that. How ungrateful is that, Disney World? Let's make a new theme park for kids. We'll call it Third World. (laughs) Send them there for a few weeks. See if they don't come back a little more grateful. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) It's the Third World after all. It's... Daddy, I want a Happy Meal. He'll be happy to get a meal. (laughs) Daddy, Mickey Mouse. No, that's a giant rat. Get out of here. It's it's a poison dart. I just got poisoned. And I love, I mean, I love my kids, but uh, for Christmas, uh, last Christmas, I got my daughter. She's 12 and she's awesome. She's just like a little angel. She's just one, she never never talks, she just sings all the time. She dances everywhere. (laughs) Daddy, daddy, I need your help, my daddy. Could you unlock the computer for me, daddy? daddy. I'm going to make a bowl of cereal. So cute. But uh, for Christmas, I got her, I, I splurged, I got her this iPod Nano. You know, it's like 250 bucks. So I Because, you know, we all love our kids the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do, we just don't all like them the same. You know what I'm, don't you judge me, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I love you, I just don't like that one right now. I don't care if he's two. So I got this nano. I wrap it up. I put it on the tree. I was so excited. She opens it up in the morning. This is the wrong one. This is not the right one. I told you I need more giga giga. This. I hate you. I hate you. This one only gets twenty-five thousand songs. Like 25,000, there's not 80 good songs ever written, sugar butt.
0: (laughs) It's all downhill after that. Uh, We're looking at Philemon. If I could just find it. I'll get there in a minute. Philemon is the only one of the four letters we're doing that was written by Paul. And it's a personal letter, but it's filled with uh, all kinds of history and great lessons. So here we go. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved worker, And Afia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jackie and I ever had a third child and it was a boy. We are going to name him Archippus. I think that's a wonderful name. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus And for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's laying it on thick here, isn't he? I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order, that by your, in order that your goodness might not be compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. To say nothing of that. Yes, brother, I wanted. to... So Paul writes it. Where is Paul when he writes it? He's in he's in prison in Rome. This is the first time he's in prison. He was in prison the years 60 and 61. He was released. So I imagine that he did get to go and visit Philemon. And then he was back in prison in 64 and 65, and then he was executed outside of Rome. When Paul writes, we talked about this in Ephesians. When Paul writes that I'm a prisoner for Jesus, it's a double entendre. He's literally in prison. But he's also a a prisoner of Jesus in the sense that he owes Jesus his life. He's been captured by Jesus. And in his case, it was like he was captured by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, Philemon. Who's Philemon? We have clues in the text about who Philemon is. First of all, we know he's wealthy. He's got quite a bit of money. Uh, Paul thinks very highly of him. He's really not just blowing smoke, although it does sound like it at times in this letter. But he does think very highly of Philemon. And he lives somewhere east of Rome, probably in Colossae. That's what most people think. So, living there. And Paul writes because Philemon's slave, Onesimus, has wronged Philemon. Most likely, according to the evidence that we see in the letter... He stole money from Philemon, his master, and then fled. And Paul, according to the letter, met Onesimus in prison in Rome, and God saved Onesimus, and Paul began to disciple him. Onesimus landed there in the prison in Rome, either as a criminal, because he had stolen from his master and then left. His master did not fulfill his contractual obligation to his master. Um, And so they caught him. And they just took him to prison in Rome. Or he stole the money and fled and specifically went to Rome looking for Paul. Now why would he do that? The reason is because he knew Paul and Philemon were good friends and they had a good relationship. Onesimus as Philemon's slave would have known that. And so maybe he went there to the prison to hope that Paul would help him uh, in the midst of his crime. And maybe he's having some regret. And Paul does help him. Nevertheless, the circumstances aren't necessarily key. It's interesting to try to unpack that. But Paul in this letter is appealing to Philemon to take Onesimus back as a free brother in Christ and not to have him punished for his crime anymore. He says, receive him back just as you would receive me. So again, a pretty easy outline for this letter that we'll work our way through. Verses 1 through 3, the greetings. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Aphia is Philemon's wife, Archippus is either their son or the pastor of the church that meets in their home, and we know that there's a there's a a church meeting in their home. That's another reason why we know that that Philemon's wealthy, because he has a home that you can have a church meet in. Uh, And then verse 3 is the common Pauline greeting, grace and peace, grace and peace. Uh, and, And many people have said you can't have peace unless you first have the grace of God. Peace is a result of having first the peace of God, which comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you see verses 4 through 7, I call it the setup. It almost sounds like the movie The Sting, but it won't look like that after this. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Uh, It was common in first century Mediterranean, uh, Greco-Roman Greek uh, personal letters that there would be a a section of thanksgiving and prayer for the recipient in order to set the stage for the matter, for the main matter of concern in the letter, the business part of the letter. What's interesting is that Uh, those ancient Greek letters that were not Christian letters, the prayers were always to various gods uh, praying for the circumstances of the recipient of the letter, that the crops would be good, that their family would be safe. It was always about the circumstances, and there were different prayers to different uh, gods. This is a Christian take on that first-century Mediterranean letter tradition of praying for the recipient, but Paul prays for love and faith. He prays for the proclamation of the gospel, and he prays for the knowledge of God, all for the sake of Christ. So he's doing the tradition, but he's doing it in a Christian way. He's not praying for circumstances. He's praying for the gospel, for the faith, for uh, the knowledge of God. And then, of course. He, he reminds us of the importance of God's stories and testimonies, how they refresh us and they encourage us. He is refreshed and encouraged hearing the stories about Philemon, the way he's treating uh, people. And the, these stories always give us joy and they comfort us. So we get that set up. And now we move into the, the business part of the letter which I call the ask. And this is 8 through 16. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I could do, as an apostle, uh, as a church leader, I could command you to do this, but I'm not. For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, but now he he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. I'd like to go ahead and keep him, but I know the right thing to do would be to send him back to you. So I'm hoping you'll receive him back in a manner uh, that honors the gospel and not in a manner that necessarily would honor your right in the law to punish, have him punished. But I prefer to do nothing uh, without your consent in order that Your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul doesn't believe in asking for forgiveness rather than permission. He's asking for permission. How many of you like to uh, do whatever you want and then just ask for forgiveness? So Paul's asking for permission. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might ask for him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So, a bunch of stuff going on there. Uh, verse 11, there's some wordplay there. The The name Onesimus literally means useful. It literally means useful. So, useful became unuseful to you, and now I hope he's going to be useful to both of us. So, there's some interesting ancient Greek wordplay there. And the word. Uh, The word means more, even more than just useful, it means also profitable and advantageous. So it's not just that he's useful, but it would be profitable to have him in your life, advantageous. And verse 12, I love verse 12. Verse 12 shows that Paul has a shepherd's heart. I'm sending my very heart to you. So often Paul gets a bad rap about who he is. He's a tough, gruff guy that's always kind of wagging his finger at these churches and Really, he has a shepherd's heart. He has to make tough calls. Shepherds have to make tough calls. But he has a heart for the people. He loves the people. And this shows it. This letter is one of the most heartfelt letters that he's ever written, I believe. I remember, um, I guess it would be nine years ago now, our first daughter, Shelby, was going away to school. She found a school in Chicago to go to, college in Chicago, and Jackie took her there. Jackie moved her there, took her there, all that, and she, when she left her, she spent a couple days there, and then she left her and, and was driving away, and she got to the airport, and she just posted on Facebook, on her Facebook page, these simple words, I just left my heart in Chicago. That's, that's the feeling that Paul has for his people as well. He's not just a theologian and a teacher. He's a shepherd. And then verse 14, Paul really wanted to keep Onesimus. I mean, he's a good guy who made a mistake. Illegal as it was, y- you know, you can, you can break the law and still be a pretty decent person, right? Anybody ever speed? You wicked people. <laughs> um, Chuck Colson once said that uh, the last part of his body to be sanctified was his right foot. (laughs) God's still working on me. Anyway, Paul Paul had no legal right to insist that Philemon let him off the hook. No legal right whatsoever to insist. Um, And in a sense, he didn't even have a right in the Christian brotherhood to do so. He may have he could have been able, he could have made the argument that he did as an apostle, but he decides not to. Instead, he appeals to something much more powerful, and that's the transforming work of Christ in a person's life. That should be more powerful than commands, edicts, policies, or rules. We'll talk more about that later. In addition, Paul is saying that in Christ, we must never think of another person as a tool to be exploited but as a human to be loved, encouraged, and discipled. That's hard. We need to be really, really careful about that. In verse 15, this is fast. Paul says God likely orchestrated this crime for the intended outcome that Onesimus would be saved because he was saved in prison, visiting Paul or with Paul. And And that he would be seen voluntarily by Philemon as a brother now and not a slave. Can God really use sin for his purposes? Sure I think so. Seeing it happen. That, now this is, I'm sure this story isn't real, but there's this old story I have to tell it. lady <clears throat> has a daughter who's sick and she needs prescription filled, so she rushes to. Uh, Walgreens or CVS or whatever. and She runs in to get the prescription filled. She comes back out and she realizes that her car keys are locked in the car and she doesn't have AAA. So she gets out, a, a, a she has a hanger with her, a wire hanger. How many of you have ever broken into your own car with a wire hanger? Remember those days? So this is an old story, right? Okay, I, I have, I remember how to do that. So anyway, she has a hanger but she doesn't know how to do it. She has no idea how to twist it and maneuver it and hook it and all that stuff so she actually prays that somebody would come and help her and so here comes this um kind of hell's angel biker dude you know with a skull cap and tattoos and a really scary guy and he comes riding up on his motorcycle and and uh she says hey can you help me out and he says yeah sure no problem and he bends the the hanger really fast and fix in like within 30 seconds he's in there and He's got her in there, and as he's, he's walking away, she hears him say, uh, thank you, Lord, for sending me such a nice person to help me. And, and he heard that, and he comes back, and he says, lady, you need to know something. I'm, I'm not a nice person at all. I just got out of prison. And, and she said, okay, thanks anyway. And he's walking away, and she heard him say, thank God, thank you for sending me a professional. <laughs> Our salvation and redemption in Christ is not because of works. That we've dutifully done, but rather we lovingly and joyfully and gladly do good works because we're saved and redeemed. The gospel is not out of compulsion but joy. It's Second Corinthians nine, each person must give what he or she has decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that applies to more than just money. We need to understand that. That applies to our, our giftedness, to our time which for many of us, our time is actually more valuable than our money, right? So Paul appeals to that here as a, as a friend, as a co-laborer, and as a shepherd, even as one who could have the authority to command. So here's verses 17 through 20, I think the nexus of the letter. Uh, this is where he says, my skin is in the game too. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So whatever he stole, I'll pay you back. I write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your own self. Yes, brother. He really twisted the arm there, I feel like. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." does sound a little bit manipulative, yes, but it's also true and is of a greater value than just losing a slave that Philemon found his life through the ministry of Paul. That's what Paul is saying here. That it was through the ministry of Paul that that Philemon came to Christ, found his life in Christ. He literally owes his life in Christ to Paul's ministry. That is a big deal. I want you all to think right now if you could of the persons or persons that God used in your life to bring you to Christ now it was an act of God but who did he use in in a human sense who do you owe your very self to who is your paul uh, when was the last time you talked to that person are they still alive when was the last time you talked to that person? Have you ever considered just sending them a card and saying, thank you for allowing me to be Philemon to your Paul? You have no idea how much they'd be encouraged by that. This is going to get a little embarrassing for Jackie, I know. But there's two people like that in my life, and Jackie's one of them. Um, we When we got together... she 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 had this this other guy in her life, anyway, um, we were working together, and really good friends and uh it was a happy day when I found out that that she broke up with him because I thought they were going to get married now i didn't I didn't show that to her in my face when she told me literally i I gave Ron his walking papers last night i i It was facial management techniques like you wouldn't believe, you know. Uh, oh, I'm really sorry. That must be hard. Um, but there was a celebration going on inside of me. Now I got a chance. The problem, though, it wasn't a. Pro- it was a huge obstacle. Was I had never been to church in my life, but three times. And I, the only. Bible word I knew was Jesus, and it was my favorite cuss word. Whenever anybody mentioned Moses, I thought they were talking about the guy that played for the Philadelphia 76ers, who was a really good rebounder in the NBA, if you remember him. And Jackie was raised at North Phoenix Baptist, Baptist Church and was very involved. Her dad used to be the um, one of the cameramen for Richard Jackson's television broadcast. Anybody here remember Richard Jackson? Any? couple of you, yeah. Yeah, you too do. <laughs> used to yell at you during service to be quiet and pay attention. <laughs> um, and so w- when we started having conversations about uh, a relationship, um, I, I remember saying, look, one of us is going to have to change and my guess is going to be that it's not you. We, we we became friends while she was dating this other guy, but we became friends to the extent that I started asking her questions. I gave her a ride home one night because we lived in the same neighborhood. I gave her a ride home one night, and we went right down Central Avenue and drove by North Phoenix Baptist Church, forty acres. I called it the Bapadome. Um, they had that big gym and the Family Life Center and everything. And I, and I said, to, I said, do you do you give money? to that church, and she said, sure do, 10% right off the top, and I, and li- without, I said, we're paying you too much then, why would you give money to those shysters, and I would ask her questions, and I would mock her, and her faith in Christianity, and, and she never took offense, she hung in with, there with me the whole time, she never took offense, it was, it was, um, I, I was never able to get to her in, in that sort of a way, she just, she just took it. She just took it. So when we started talking about getting together romantically, I said, one of us is going to have to change. My guess is it's not going to be you, so I've got to figure this out. And I said, if, if we're going to date, do you want to date? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, okay. So if we date, let's, let's make church a big part of it. We'll go to church on Sunday. Her family, after church on Sunday, would always go for Mexican food. I was in for that. That was cool. I like that. Um, but we go to church on Sunday, and and that would be a big part of it, and I'd try to figure this thing out, but I told her, um, I I, I remember the the first Sunday we went, I said, look, okay, you need to understand something. Um, Those people are freaks in there, and I'm not, okay, Um, but it's going to be like walking into a prison for the first time as a convict, I mean, I have visions of them, literally, I walk in, I have, there's 10,000 people in that church, you understand, it's a big church at the time, I, I walk in there, I had visions of, of, of Baptists yelling, fresh fish, fresh fish, and coming around me, and, you know, so I, I was saying things to her, like, do not leave my side, you're, you're going to be my buffer, you keep these people away from me, I got to figure this out on myself, on my own, you keep them, wa- you don't even go to the bathroom, you go to the bath. they're going to be waiting for you to go to the bathroom, and then, then they're going to jump, okay? And we went, and we went for literally months, and then one Wednesday night, I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but I was saved there, and Richard Jackson baptized me there. I owe my very self to Jackie in that regard. God used Jackie, that whole situation, uh, to bring me to Christ. Um, and then God used a guy named Tom Schrader. To be, He became my spiritual father, in a sense. Um, Jackie was used for my salvation. Tom has been used for my sanctification and everything else. So I'll tell you the story about Tom. Um, I got saved we got married. We started attending the uh, Young Marrieds Bible Study. And here you go. Uh, so the South, at the time, this is the way North Phoenix ran it. Most Southern Baptist churches ran it. They had church and they had sun, Sunday school on Sunday morning, age-graded, age-graded Sunday school. And so uh, we were in the Young Marrieds with married couples that were in their, mostly in their 20s, uh, led by couples in their 40s and 50s that were teaching and Leading and all of that, and um, that section at North Phoenix was so big at the time that they had three different classes with about sixty people in each of those classes. Just in that twenty-something married category, um, and so we were in the class, and and um, I loved the community, and that was all good, and made some friends, and, and had a great time in there. But I, re- I I have to tell you, I really struggled with the Bible teaching. I I, I felt like I could get Richard on Sunday morning in the sermons, and he would preach exegetically through books of the Bible like we do here. And and I felt like I could get that, but the, the problem I was encountering in the Bible studies on Sunday morning was that when uh, Steve or Jim, um, can't remember the other guy's name right now, but anyway, when they would get up to teach, uh, their assumption, they taught with the assumption that everybody in the room already knew the Bible and was familiar with the faith and all of that stuff. And I was, br- I'm t- I, I was brand new. And so, so they, Steve would say, okay, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. And I'd be like, it, it's a big book. How do you, or, you know, what is an Ephesian anyway? Is that a skin disease? What is that? I don't, you know. And then they would never talk about who wrote Ephesians, uh what was the content? I never nothing. You just boom. All right. Chapter three verse one. This is what it says. And and I just didn't I didn't get any of it. And I was basically lost and really frustrated. Really frustrated. So but I would go because of the community. And about a year and a half into it, I'm at work. Uh And a friend of mine calls me up on the phone, and he says, hey, um, he's a friend in business. I'm trying to remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. This is the first time I haven't remembered his name. At any rate, he says, look, there's this guy. He's starting a brand-new Bible study. It's a marketplace Bible study. He does it uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday noon, it's at the Phoenix Women's Club, at 3rd Avenue in Earl, be like 150 people there. They have lunch, and then he'll speak for about 45 minutes. He's really good at this. Will you go with me? Well, I heard the words Bible study, and I said, no, I'm, no, I'm not interested. I'm not doing any Bible study. I get enough of that on Sunday morning, and it's really frustrating to me. I don't get it, you know. I, it's, I'm, just, I'm out of my element with that. He called me, Jay Penny, that's his name, Jay Penny, he, call, he was a financial advisor, he called me seven weeks in a row, asking me to go to this Bible study with this new guy, Tom. Finally, on the seventh week, he calls me up and he says, look, I'll tell you what, go with me this week, if you don't like it, next week, I'll take you to Durant's for lunch. Now, those of you that don't understand, okay, Durant's is iconic uh, in Phoenix, and especially back then in the 80s. I mean, it was a big deal. It's, it's still a big deal, but it was a really big deal then. Uh, he was talking about a $70, 80 lunch that he would take me to. And and I said, deal, I can sit through anything for 45 minutes for a free lunch at Durant's. Because the only time I ever went to Durant's was when somebody else bought. Okay? So deal. So we went and uh, had lunch, had those uh, chicken salad sandwiches, remember, and and, uh, pasta salad, anyway, um, and then here comes this little guy in these saddle shoes, and you know, he's sarcastic, and you know, boisterous, and and all that, and he was teaching out of Daniel, and he says, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, and by the way, there were like 200 people there, the room was full. And he said, I want you to open your Bibles to Daniel. And they said, if you don't know where Daniel is, here's how you find Daniel. Oh. Okay. Uh, and he was very descriptive. And then, and then he started teaching, and, and, he, and he talked about the historical context of Daniel. And he talked about who wrote the book of Daniel. And he talk about, talked about the purpose of the book of Daniel. And, and he talked told us all of those things that helped it make sense. Talked about the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar and all of this stuff. And then he would teach on one of the chapters, not 7 through 12. He was just doing 1 through 6. But he would teach on one of the chapters and he would explain it all. what's, What's the text behind the text? What's really going on? He would explain it all. And then... Without even any effort, he would bridge that gap between 2,600 years ago and today and begin to explain why this is applicable to our lives today, what it means today. And then, and then he would talk about where the gospel was in the story and how Jesus fulfills that. And he talked for 45 minutes. And when he was done at 1 o'clock, I was angry that he wasn't going to keep talking. I wanted him to talk for the rest of I could have sat there for the rest of the day and listened to him teach. Uh, recently, Jim Morland and I have mentioned that uh, Tom could talk about this paper clip for 45 minutes, and he would have you mesmerized for 45 minutes. And there's really not much about the gospel, even in that, but he, he could do that. And, and so I never collected my lunch at Durant's. <laughs> Because I took my daytimer out, uh, those of you who don't know what a daytimer is—it's this book with a calendar and you used to write things in it. Okay, I took my daytimer out, and every Thursday at noon, I just wrote uh, PLAZ Priority Living of Arizona, PLAZ, PLAZ, and I never let anything get in the way of going to that Bible study with Tom. He made Scripture come alive for me. He started connecting dots for me. He made me want to read the Bible. He made me want to study. Um, he made me even begin to want to share what I was learning. It was amazing. About a year later, Jackie and I were asked to um, move out of the young marrieds and move into the college and young <coughs> singles department at North Phoenix and become uh, leaders and teachers. And and if I hadn't met Tom, I never would have considered even thinking about doing something like that. And that's where I started cutting my teeth on teaching the Bible, all the while still going to Tom's deal. Eventually, I got up the courage to ask him if I could have coffee with him. and We began to develop a relationship. And it was about um, 10 years later, so probably 20 years ago, that Jackie and I and the kids were in um, Southern California. We were, we were actually in San Clemente, and we were going to um, the big mall there. South Coast Plaza. We were in the parking lot. Tom calls me on the cell phone and he says, hey, next Thursday I'm not going to be able to teach at Priority Living. Can you teach for me? And I got to, and I, I remember thinking, he must have called ten other guys before he got down to me, but I, I remember, th- and, and I just said yes. Couldn't believe that I was actually going to, you know, sub for Tom. And so I started subbing for him and next thing you know I'm going to seminary and becoming a pastor. I mean and and then, you know, 7 years ago when he texted me and asked if he could if I could meet him out at the commons at Gilbert uh, for some iced tea and that was when he said, you know, we want to know if you would think about coming and leading redemption arcadia. And and I remember th- you know and and I said, well, I'm going to have to pray. Because that's a spiritual thing to say, that I have to pray about it. And I got home. Jackie said, what did Tom want? And I said, well, he wants to know if I'd be interested in being the lead pastor at Redemption Arcadia. And she said, you told him yes, didn't you? I said, well, we've guess we've prayed about it. So, um, but I, we remember ta- Remember us talking about, we we never thought anything like God could ever orchestrate something like that, that I'd actually get to work with Tom. And uh, so, I owe Tom my very self. I owe him my very life in many ways. So who are those people in your life that you owe your very life to? Because they're out there. There's there's that that teacher that's had a profound influence on you that nobody else did. And here you go. It might even be somebody who has no idea who you are because you've been listening to their podcast. I guarantee you, you drop him a little card. I've been listening to your podcast. I'm so encouraged by what you're doing. It'll mean something to him. Really? Even Tim Keller? He's really famous and writes books. Yeah, he would be encouraged by that. You know? So who do you owe your very life to? Verses 21 through 25, the self-fulfilling prophecy and, of course, final greetings. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. (laughs) So in social science, they talk about the self-fulfilling prophecy is actually uh, something that you believe will happen and you act on it as if it's already happened. This is what Paul is doing here. Now, I always have to be careful when I talk about that. Um, It's not foolproof because I don't want you to go out and buy $3,000 worth of lottery tickets tonight and then start spending the money that you haven't won yet, okay? If I just start spending the millions right now, it'll happen, I'll win, but th- that would not be helpful, okay, because you're not going to win. I, I can say that with a pretty high level of confidence. Oh, by the way, if you do, you know where the giving boxes are. <laughs> uh, but it's funny, he's got the self-fulfilling prophecy going thing going, and then he just... Twist that arm just a little bit more, if you notice in the next verse. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. I'm coming to check up on you. See how you're treating Onesimus. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um there's one guy in that list that's kind of interesting Demas. What happened to Demas? Anybody remember? Huh? Yeah, so in 2nd Timothy, I think. It's 2nd Timothy. He's writing and and he says to Timothy, "Send Mark for Mark is really helpful for me." Which is interesting because Paul and Mark had a falling out some 20 years earlier. Okay, says send Mark, for Demas has gotten all excited about the world, and he's left me to pursue the things of the world. So here he's commending Demas, but later on Demas falls away. Exactly. So Paul also assumes that he's going to get released, which is interesting. So this may have been toward the end of his prison stay, where he began to get the feeling, the sense that maybe things were going to work out for him, and he was going to get released. So, he, here's this final application about uh, what I wanted to talk about slavery. It's interesting, Paul does not address the broader question of slavery in this letter. He doesn't address it. He's got an, oppor- right? He's got an opportunity to just a- address the injustice of slavery here. Why didn't he do that? Uh, It's clearly something that the Christian faith would abhor, the idea of uh, one person owning another person. And many today wish that Paul had done that, and many today criticize the Bible for the fact that Paul didn't do that. Slavery is an abomination, why not address it? Well, here are the reasons why. First of all, I mentioned this Sunday morning, because unlike the slavery we're familiar with, slavery then was way more often a choice. It was an actual choice, uh, not by the master, but by the slave. It was a choice by the slave, by the bondservant. The word bondservant fits much better here, which is the word we use mostly Sunday morning. It was part of their economic system. If you could literally sell yourself in order to gain employment, and that's what many people in that culture and that, in that time did. They would sell themselves contractually to a master so that they could have a job, so they could take care of their family. And it was contractual. There, and there were often limits to how long a person could actually be a slave. It was also used as a way to work off debt. Let's say you borrowed money and you weren't able to pay it back you could also pay back the debt by becoming an indentured servant, a bond servant, a slave. Well, that's kind of a prehistoric thing to have happen, and that. Glad we don't have that now. Okay, now wait a minute. Um, do you guys have any kind of debt? You have a mortgage. I'd argue you got to have a mortgage. I mean. It, Makes sense, but still, okay, who's in charge of that mortgage? Are you in charge? Do you get to just pay it back whenever you want? Anybody have a car loan? What happens if you miss three payments on your car loan? Yeah, the car loan goes away. So does your car. (laughs) That's awesome, you know. Uh, Consumer or credit card debt. What does Scripture say about The relationship of the uh, lender and the borrower, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, I understand that debt is not a blanket condemnation of debt. Debt can be used very wisely as a tool, but but you need to remember that once you sign those papers, you, you are in service to another. You are in service to another, and they call the shots. We need to remember that. So we're all willing indentured servants to, a, to, a, to an extent. ditech that's, that's who holds our mortgage right now. By the way, I don't know if anybody else has been experiencing this, but my mortgage company seems to change every 18 months. Anybody else experiencing that? I'm so confused. I'm hoping that eventually it's going to happen and they're not going to be able to keep track of it and they'll just forget, you know. A little computer glitch or something. GMAC, Capital One Citibank. Here's, some, here's some, another thing you could choose to be an, a, a, a bondservant, slavery. You could choose that over going to prison. It was legal for you to choose becoming a slave to the person you wronged, that you uh, did something illegal against. If the context was right, you could be their slave rather than going to prison. This may have been what happened with Onesimus, even before he stole money from Philemon and ran off to Rome. This may have been what he was doing there in the first He may have done something to Philemon in the first place, and Philemon was letting him work it off. The interesting thing is that if this was done in the context of the Jewish community with the Torah, the Torah had a limit. It was six years. Uh, no matter what the crime was, after six years, you had to let the slave go, and you had to let their family go, and you had to give them a little bit of money when you sent them away. That's what was required by the Torah. This is a little different than what we know of slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries. Furthermore, the Torah, which Paul was infinitely familiar with, has this to say about the system. It, in Jewish law, you could never kidnap or otherwise take a person by force to be a slave. Could not do it. It had to be the choice of the indentured service to do that. This was unique among all ancient law codes, this provision in Torah. Also unique among all ancient law codes in the Torah was the fact that you were not allowed to harm the slave in any way, including homicide, which should go without saying, but there's a specific section in Exodus that says you can't murder your slave. You can't kill your, for any reason, you can't kill the slave but you also can't harm them in any other way, including financially. You can't do anything to them. Again, Torah was the only ancient legal code to have these restrictions. And yes, there were parts of the known world in the first century where slavery was not a choice, but it was more like we understand it. It was a form of oppression and forced labor and no choice. There were places like that, but for the most part in Paul's context, that's not the context. This was just a normal part of their economic system, and it was regulated. So that's one reason why Paul didn't speak against slavery, but there's a much bigger reason, a much more important reason why Paul did not speak against slavery here or in Ephesians or in Colossians or in any of his other writings. Paul knows that there's something bigger and more valuable than dealing with policy, edicts, and rules. And that would be brotherly love in the body of Christ as a result of the gospel. Rules, policies, and edicts, when confronting human nature, this is just true, they they have a way of eliciting suspicion, cynicism, and mistrust. You just think about your work context and you get a memo about a new rule. Is that something that you celebrate when you... No, you, the, the first thing you do is you look at it with suspicion and cynicism. You start trying to poke holes in it. You get angry. You, you, you're upset about this, it's a, this horrible authority that's pressing down on you. We don't like that stuff. In Ephesians 2, if you remember, Paul wrote that the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, this is, this is God's law. It's good. It's holy. It's wonderful. God's law had become a dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. It had become a dividing wall of what? Hostility. It created hostility. Did God intend that his law would create hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles? No. They were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. But the law, they used the law to separate them from the Gentiles and make themselves more superior. They made it into a dividing wall of hostility. It was never intended to be used that way by God. But humans humans almost always seem to be able to use rules and policies to divide rather than unite. Have you ever noticed that? We use rules to divide rather than to unite. Paul even says in Romans, "...in the law there is sin." The minute somebody tells you not to do something, don't you kind of feel like doing it? You know, if you paint something, don't put up a sign that says wet paint because you're going to end up with fingerprints in, in your paint. There's that sign, I haven't been up there for a while, but I remember outside of Payson, the other side of Payson, and it says no shooting. It's riddled with bullet holes. There's just something in us that, you know... Paul is not for slavery, but he's for love and relationship. He's not for slavery. This is not, he's not condoning slavery here, he, he, but he is for love and relationship. And he's not saying that policy and rules are bad, but he says that human hearts always have a way of ruining rules. He says the gospel is better, relationship and love is better, especially when it's in the light of both people being in Christ. Peter O'Brien, the New Testament scholar writes this, No revolutionary program is suggested by Paul or others to deal with the evils of slavery or its total abolition. Instead, the focus is on the transforming personal relationships within the system through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you live out gospel love, you won't need the rule or the policy. Isn't that Jesus' whole point in Matthew 22? When they come and they say, What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments, the entirety of the law and the prophets is summed up. If that becomes the basis for how you live, you won't need the rules and the policies and the edicts, joy, not compulsion. I... In, And and just so you know, I'm not an anti-rules, anti-policy guy. I know we need rules, we need laws, we need guidelines, but there is a better way. Uh, You heard me mention a couple weeks ago here on Sunday that with our kids, we didn't have rules. We had conversations. It was hard work, and for us, I I think it worked out better. But I know how lazy we can get with rules and how we can use them in the wrong context and, and in unhelpful ways. Um, has anyone noticed how our entire political dialogue now is all focused on policy and not relationship? How's that going for us? Seems like everybody's angry, dug in, no progress is being made, relationship, not policy. Love, not edicts. Conversations, not rigid rules. Gospel, not compulsion. I know, that sounds really radical, doesn't it? Isn't the gospel radical, though? It's a radical kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross so that um, we wouldn't have to bear the weight or the cost or the consequences of our sin. So Paul writes to Philemon and says, hey, I... I don't need to command you to do anything if you're really in the gospel you'll do the right thing and I'm going to trust that so let's pray together by the way um, next week you'll owe me 19 minutes because we're getting out of here early I don't know how I'm going to fill it up we're just doing Jude but anyway all right we'll pray Uh, Lord God thank you for um, this great letter to Philemon this goofy little letter that seems to be an afterthought in so many ways and yet there's so much here so God I just pray that uh, we would think about who we owe our very life to obviously you first and foremost but who did you use in our lives let's think about that but let's also think about how the gospel should make a difference in our life uh, so that we, we don't necessarily have to think about rules and edicts and guidelines but we can be Uh, We can just live according to your will. Help us to do that. Help us to have the wisdom to be able to do that. Help us to seek you, to know you, to love you, to know your word and its power and its truth, to know that it's a double-edged sword and it cuts right to the heart of every single matter. It separates everything beautifully so we understand. And God, it's because of your loving kindness that we turn toward you and not to the world. Help us to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.